coming down off that note. So before we pray, I just want to say that um, I feel very blessed to be able to preach for the first time in my home church. I've grown up in this church. Um, I, I've gone to this church my entire life. I, I graduated from the school that was in this church. This used to be two classrooms, just in case anybody didn't know. There used to be a wall here. Um, I graduated from the school here. Most of the people in this room have had an effect on my life um, positively. So <laughs> I said most. I said most. Um, so I just want to say I feel, I feel blessed to be able to do this. And, and it's a humbling experience for me to stand here. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence, I pray that your spirit will be with us. I thank you that your spirit is strong, that your word is true. I thank you that even with my lack of experience and skill, that your word is strong enough to overcome no matter who the speaker is. And I pray that hearts will be open to whatever you have for anybody today. I thank you for this in your name. Amen. So, a little bit of background on me for this topic we're going to talk about today. And if anybody doesn't have the insert in the bulletin, uh, there's some on the back seat. If somebody would pass those out if you don't have them. These are just my notes for today. You can, there's a couple of places to fill in blanks. Um, but I've been a Christian for 25 years. But the majority of my experience with the topic today, I would say, is very short. It's probably within the last year or, or less. Um, so I lived a Christian life the way I understood it. I knew that I was saved by grace. That was enough. But I lived a life without any power, without harnessing the power that God has for us, um, and a life full of guilt and anxiety. I thought of God's commands as a list of do's and don'ts. And there are a list of do's and don'ts that I can't reach. I'll never be able to reach. I've already broken them. So if I wasn't experiencing anxiety about money or my kids or my job or all the things that I'm not good at, I was experiencing anxiety about a relationship that was out of whack around me, whoever that was at the time. If you, ser if you search hard enough, you'll find something to be anxious about every minute. Um, I got to the point where I actually felt guilty if I had peace for more than five minutes because how, how can I have peace when I'm still deficient about all these things? If I'm deficient about 300 things, why do I ever deserve to have any peace? Because um, I, I should be worried about something else. I should be working towards something else. So we're going to find out some good news today that this is not the right way to live. God doesn't want you to live with anxiety. God doesn't want that type of life for his people. That isn't what he gave you. He didn't give you just this list of commands to feel guilty about. He gave you his word so that you can have an active relationship with him. So I finally got to have more than five minutes of real peace in my life. It does not come naturally to me. It takes a little bit of work. But when you experience peace, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like it, especially if you're known, if all you know is anxiety. So how many here today experienced a whole day this week of peace? You can raise your hand if you had a whole day of complete peace. No anxiety. Good, we have one. I was hoping somebody would raise their hand. That's good. That's good. 
it's a little bit hard to come by, right? Even if you have a great day, a really, really great day, there's something that bothered you that day, usually. And you, you decide whether you had a good day by how few of those moments you had versus how many you had doing something else. But did you know that the Bible commands us to be at peace just like it commands you not to kill? Just like it commands you not to steal? Just like it commands you any command you can think of. It commands us to have peace. And we ignore it. We ignore this one because if you don't have anxiety in your life, then what are you doing? We, we somehow decide a job was so hard based on how much anxiety I put in my life about that job. It's almost a measuring stick for us. We ignore this one. Um, so today we're going to look at God's peace, and we're going to focus mainly on relationships. And I, I'm thankful to God that this is the one that he gave me this week, because this is my first time. And he gave me something that hopefully everyone has a little bit of experience with so that I can keep your attention and you don't fall asleep. Because this is one that if you're not struggling with this, then God bless you. But I think that most of us are. So we'll be looking at Philippians 4 and we'll look at the first four verses or first five verses. If I come back and speak again, which I think we're going to, um, I'm going to go through Philippians 4. So this is, this is the beginning of that. Before we dive too far in, those in Sunday school have heard me say this about 5,000 times, but you guys are going to hear me say it and then say it again. When we come into God's presence and when we look at God's word, make the decision right now before you've heard anything else, make the decision that whatever God lays on your heart today, to just do it. Whatever it is. It might not be my eloquent words, but God's word will speak to you today and just decide before we even get into it, okay, God, whatever you have for me, I'm going to do it. There's a peace already in that. You're off the hook. God told you to do it, now go do it. There's, a little, there's peace in that right from the start. It's not going that well anyway with me on the throne, so I might as well let God do with me what I'm going to. And if you have different experience from that, again, God bless you. But I think we all know how well things go when we're on the throne and we're deciding about all these things. Okay, so we're going to start with a few approaches to finding peace. This world's all about trying to find peace. Um, we, we don't like this anxiety that we have, and we put all these different things into our life. There's self-help books. There's, there's whole religions based on finding peace. But we're just going to look at three. The first one is sort of an Eastern approach. Some key words here would be meditation, relaxation, and center. If you look up the words inner peace, if you Google that, those are the kind of things you're going to find. That somehow, if you can blank your mind of everything, if you can take everything out of your mind, that that's where the peace is. It's inside of you someplace. Anybody ever try that? It's a dangerous thing sometimes. Actually, it is a dangerous thing. But you would have to do that all day, every day. You wouldn't get anything accomplished if that's what you did. And you don't end up finding it anyway. Second one is a Western approach. That's the approach we take. That's the approach of my generation and maybe the generation before me. Keywords here, control, achieve, and conquer. This is all the when I have statements. I'll be at peace when my kids are in the best college. I'll be at peace when I have the house that I want. I'll be in peace when all these things happen. Right? That's, that's our mentality. I will achieve, I will conquer these things, 
then I'll have peace. Has anybody ever reached the end of that one? Is there an end to that one? There's no end to that one. When you have the nicest house, you've got to have the boat that goes with that house. And then there's always a better location. And then, you know, then there's the grandkids come along, and they better be in the, better, the best schools too. That's the Western approach. It's how much, can I, how much success can I reach, and I'll find peace there. The one we're going to look at today, obviously, is the third, which is a biblical approach. Keywords here are trust, depend, and obey. Those are a lot different than those first two approaches. This is a supernatural peace. This is when you make God the center, and He's residing in you, and His Spirit is in you. This is a peace that comes from the Creator of the universe that was powerful enough to throw creation into being by speaking that any problem you have currently is not too big for Him. There's a peace that comes with that. God is bigger than anything you have going on right now and creative enough to teach you while he's helping you through it, which is amazing to me. I, bless him for, I, I praise him for that, that he's creative enough to teach me a lesson when he's also getting me out of whatever problem I'm in. So the dictionary, I looked it up. I, I tried to find a great definition in, in the different you know, dictionaries, but all I found was For peace, it's just the absence of. It's the absence of, absence of. So absence of strife, absence of disturbance in your life, absence of anxiety, and absence of hassle. It doesn't feel like a very active peace. feels like sort of if nothing goes wrong for you today, then you'll find some peace. Scripture has a way more amazing definition. The idea comes from the Hebrew word of shalom. Now, shalom has a lot of meanings that go into this because it's about being a complete person. It's about being whole. It's not just the absence of anxiety. It has several parts. And I think I gave this to you in your notes. I hope I did. Yep. It's to be complete and sound in wholeness, in both spiritual and physical health, harmony in relationships, success and fulfillment of purpose, victory over one's enemies. Did you know that God put you here on this earth with specific skills, with specific gifts for a purpose? And there is a lot of peace that goes along with that when you're doing that. He gave you those gifts, you're using them for Him, and you find peace because of that. That's sort of the fulfillment of purpose rather than this goal that you can never attain. He also gave us very specific instructions about relationships and how to go about them. And when you are practicing those, you'll find peace. Hopefully everybody here can think of at least one example when you were in complete control in a relationship and it kind of went bad. If you can't think of one, come to me afterwards and I'll give you five of mine and you can, you can hear about it, right? It, relationships are difficult and we can't really get around it unless you're going to live by yourself. You can't get around these relationships. In John 14, 27, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in this way. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
peace I leave with you. He doesn't stop there. He says, my peace. Not the same peace that the world tries to give you. It's my peace. It's a supernatural peace. This thing that we try to do by ourselves could be done better. That's going to be the message today, pretty much. If you want to do this better and have less anxiety, we'll do it God's way instead of our way. It means stepping off the throne, and that's a hard thing to do. It's a, it's a thing that you might have to do over and over again. Now, there's a long list of things that take away our peace, right? You, you guys all have very individual ones that probably drive you crazy, but I, I tried to put it in just four general categories. The first one is bombardment of technology now that will rob your peace. Whether you watch CNN or Fox News or ESPN, anything that has a ticker along the bottom, a ticker of this is what's wrong, this is what's going bad, this is who cheated on who, this is who killed whom, or your Facebook feed, which just reminds you how little you actually like all your friends all day, every day. That robs me of some peace. This guy likes Trump. This person likes Hillary. I'm not. I can't take this person. I don't like this person. All that does is remind you about the relationships you have that you don't really like. If all you heard was the bad stuff that they say, or throw at the internet at least. So that's the first one. Number two is conflict in relationships. And again, that's the one we're going to focus on today. Number three is fear. We all have fear, and it's probably a little bit different for most of us. We have some common things. Maybe it's death. Maybe it's sickness, maybe it's something that happens to your kids, but we have fear. It takes away our peace. And the fourth is anxiety, which, like I said earlier, is, was sort of my, my normal state. I didn't know anything different than anxiety all the time. So if you would, open up to Philippians 4. We'll be in the first five verses. While you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of context I like to have a little context when we're starting in a chap. We're not starting at the beginning of a book. We're in a chapter here. And Paul was part of building this church at Philippi. He loves this group. He says over and over again, he talks about this group very well. He, he thinks this is a great group. The church was growing. Uh, while Paul's there, he gets into a little bit of trouble and is in jail. Then there's this earthquake that happens. And the jailer comes to Christ. And then there's revival, so there's a lot of great stuff with Paul and, and the Philippian church. It's one of his favorite churches. It was the first church that gave to him financially so he could be um, in the ministry full-time without working, without being a tent maker. But as we come to chapter 4, we note some conflict in the church. Um, now, Paul doesn't open up by saying, here are the two people that are in conflict, and this one's wrong and this one's right, and you guys need to get it together. We don't know exactly what's going on with these two. They, they are in disagreement, and there's probably more going on here than, than that, but they're in disagreement. And all he says to them is that you guys need to be of one mind. But they're divided about something. How many of you know that when two people in a church are not getting along, it does not just affect them. We're a body of believers. When the two legs don't get along very well, we run all over the place. When the two eyes are looking in different directions all the time, we don't have great vision. 
When two people in the church are not getting along well, it affects everyone, whether we like it or not. We say, oh, that's between he and I. That's a nice thought. But the church knows it. Your soul knows it, that it affects the entire church. So it hurts our testimonies, but it also hurts the entire church. So Paul's going to lay out a plan for them to deal with the conflict. Okay, before we dive in here. I don't know about you, but without a goal, I never get anything done. So I want us to have a goal for today. And you have an empty space in there to answer this question on, and this is now your goal. What person in your life do you lack peace with? You don't have to write it down, but identify somebody in your mind, somebody that you don't have peace with for whatever reason. And I want you to think about what we're going to say from Philippians 4 in the context of your relationship with that person. And we'll probably identify a few things that you could do differently. I certainly did this week going through this. So this could be somebody from a long time ago. This could be a parent. This could be a sibling. It might be your friend, your spouse, someone that has cheated you in a deal, someone who has hurt you, someone who has gossiped about you. This is someone that if you see them in the grocery store or you hear about them, some acid comes into your stomach or you get some knots in your stomach. They make you kind of uncomfortable. And just so you know, that's, that's, the, that's the beginning of the robbing of your, of your peace. You just felt it. Now you've got anxiety. Now you even have a physical response to seeing or hearing about those people. Um, so far, it has been too difficult to deal with this conflict. Wherever you are, if you still don't have peace with them, it's been too hard. Either you've tried and failed, or you haven't tried at all yet. But for some reason, this has been too difficult. As long as everybody has a name, we have a goal for today. So I want you to focus on them as we talk through this. All right, we're going to look at verse 1. This is how it reads, Therefore, my brothers, you who I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Couple things I want you to take from verse one. A, it's a transition. So, like I said, we're going from chapter three to chapter four. Paul's saying, new topic. We're transitioning. I'm about to talk about something else. And I'm going to lead in and talk about these two ladies first. So, we have a new topic. But two, and more importantly, listen to Paul's heart. It's a pastor's heart. He calls them his brothers, he tells them that he loves them. They are his joy. They are his crown. So right before he's about to tell everybody, get your act together, he actually says, you know what, but I love you guys. I, I, I want this for you. I, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm not doing this because it makes me feel any better. I want you to deal with this issue because I love you. And this is important for us, for conflict. If all you're doing when you go into conflict is just dealing with it so it's off your conscience, you didn't do it because you love that person. Or if you see two people in conflict and you want to try to help, don't go rushing in there unless you're going to do it in love. You better love those two people so that you want it, you want it to be right. There's no doubt I have something to learn from this. I've been thinking about this all week, obviously. I have something to learn from this because usually when two people are arguing, and some of you had this experience with me, my first reaction when two people are arguing is like, come on, you're, two, you're adults. Figure it out. This is how you act? This is how you act when you're fighting. 
Paul takes a very different approach, which is my, why mine probably wouldn't have been effective. Paul's is effective. He wants the conflict to be over for them, not because he is annoyed, but because he loves them. And they are hurting not just their own testimony, but the testimony of that church. That church's testimony, the mission is being hurt because of the way they're acting. Verse 2, I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. The word agree here means be of the same mind. Um, Philippians 2, 1 through 8 gives us an awesome picture of this. And I'm just going to read part of it. So I'll, re- I'll start at verse 5. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is such an awesome picture. When it starts off with saying, in your relationships to one another, this is how you should act. Jesus didn't call for equality. Jesus didn't say, this isn't my sin. I shouldn't have to deal with it. He looked at it as, He's going to come and he's going to veil his power. That's what some of these words here mean. He's veiling his power. He had to veil his power to come and be a man. He had to veil his power to let death happen without his angels coming and destroying everybody. He had to veil power. And we so often can't veil that little bit of power we have. He veiled all that power. And we're supposed to follow his example. Paul says, do it the same way. He doesn't tell them they have to agree. He doesn't even say they have to really like each other. He doesn't say that here. He says they have to have unity, be of the same mind, have an idea for the bigger picture, which is the mission for Christ. You may have legitimate differences with somebody, but don't let those issues get in the way of the mission. No matter what someone's, ever, no matter what someone's done to you, it doesn't matter what they've done, no matter how horrible it is, it is not bigger than the mission for Christ. And your anxiety about it is not helping the mission of Christ. We'll go on to verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says loyal yoke fellow, but he's actually speaking to a person. There's somebody that everybody knows of, whether it's the pastor of that church, or there's lots of people who they think it might have been. But somebody is good at helping with conflict resolution. And he's saying to that person, please help them. Please help them. Has anybody here ever come to a point in a relationship where you're never going to get it? The two of you are at a complete standstill? It's okay to have somebody come in, somebody who's wise, somebody who knows how to deal with conflict, come in and help you. That's what marriage counseling is. You know, you can fight marriage counseling for five years, but have it for 12 weeks and maybe... Fighting it for five years didn't help you. It's okay to ask for wise counsel when you're trying to fix a relationship. We'll go on to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Right after this, he gives them, he delivers the command. Find your joy and your focus in Jesus. And how often should you do that? Always. And by the way, it's a command. Just in case you missed it, he said it twice. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Don't miss this. When they repeat themselves in the Bible, don't miss it. They're telling you something there. That's important. Do not miss it. This is a command to you. We have these codependent relationships that we think are going to make us happy. Has, has anybody ever had one person who's made them completely happy all the time? Maybe if all you did was ever, you just met them, shook their hand, and walked the other way, you could say, that one person, was, I was happy with them every time I saw them. It, we can't. You can't depend on other people for your joy. Heather and I watched um, uh, War Room this, this week. And if you haven't seen it, you know, I'm late to the, I know I'm late. If you haven't seen it, rent it, watch it. There's lots of great themes in there, and there's lots of great lessons. But the one that stuck with me, and it, and it spoke to me about this, was until this lady realized that her joy did not come from this other person, she was not affected for ministry. As long as it was wrapped up in that other person, she couldn't get past it because that person just kept hurting her and hurting her and hurting her and hurting her. But when she realized her joy can only come from Christ, everything else started to work itself out. Her focus then was in the right place instead of on this sinful person who was going to hurt them. But we do it. We think that people are going to make us happy. We think relationships are going to make us happy. This is awesome news. Verse 4 is awesome. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be in codependent relationships with people where they are the only thing that can make you happy. You can say, forget that. You can say, God's going to be what makes me happy, and my expectations of you are going to be, I know you're going to hurt me, but my joy comes from somewhere else. Because we are commanded to, to rejoice. We're commanded to have joy. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Gentleness is an amazing word here. If you want to do a word study, gentleness here, it takes a whole kaleidoscope of words to just make this one word in the original text. So I'm going to give you a few of them. It has the idea of forbearance, reasonableness, geniality, generosity. It means to go beyond justice, to be willing to accept less than your due. Less than your due. Who here is fond of taking less than their due? I am not. I do not take, like taking less than I'm due, whether it's in a relationship or anything else. But it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Um, one commentator called it sweet reasonableness. It is to yield your personal rights for something bigger. You may have been hurt, and you may be justified in being hurt, but it's for something bigger. Your relationship with them is reckoned to the thing that's bigger. Keep your eyes on the thing that's bigger, which is the ministry of Christ. This brings, this brings us to a major point. When you are part of the family of God, your relationship takes on new meaning, whether you like it or not. When you're in a church, it takes on new meaning. The conflict is bigger than the two of you, it's bigger than your feelings. According to what Jesus says, when there's division in the church, people can question his gospel. They can question who he is. When they look at us, the people who follow him, and we're all divided, and we're all stabbing each other in the back, they have a reasonable case to say, that Jesus, why would I follow him? Why would I follow him? If, look at what his followers do. This comes from John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. 
It doesn't say by how often you give to the church. It doesn't say by how often you do something nice for the poor. It says by this, by loving one another the way I loved you, people will know you're my disciples. How did he love his disciples? How did he love you? How did he love me? Did he love you because you're a really great person? Did he love you because you asked for forgiveness really nicely? He died for you before you were even born. Everybody in this room. And he knew exactly what you were going to do. He knew exactly the sin you were going to have in your life. All the bad things he knew about and still made the decision to hang on a cross. He loved us, and here's the key word, sacrificially. He loved and he gave up his rights. When you love and give up your rights, that other person may not do the same thing, but you'll be at peace. You'll be past it. You'll be over it. It won't be in your heart anymore because you said, you know what? I'm over it. I, I, I'm sorry for the part I played in that, and I'd like to reconcile with you. So then he says, this is how people will know you're following him, is how we love one another. As you're thinking about this person that I, that I made you think about, that maybe you hadn't thought about in five years or ten years, as I made you think about this person, what's the first thing you think about, about somebody you're in conflict with? It's their fault. It is their fault. They hurt me. They did this to me. They did all this stuff to me. And it is at least 95% their fault, if not 99% their fault. Because in your heart, you're, you're, you're being a little honest with yourself. Well, I did kind of... I did say this or that. Sometimes, I'm not saying there aren't times somebody kills somebody for no reason. That's 100% their fault. I'm talking about relationships where two people have loved each other and hurt each other, and we can't get over it. And so we think it's 95% their fault. And I want you to know that I agree with you. Every single relationship that I've had conflict in, it has been their fault, right? That's how we think. It, it was their fault. So I'm in the same boat with you. It, it, it was all their fault, as far as I'm concerned. But as long as that's the lens we look at the situation in, that reasonableness, that sweet reasonableness that he talked about, you're never going to be reasonable. You're never going to be sacrificial when all you can think about is what they did to you. So if it's 10% your fault or 15% your fault, and I bet you if you pray about this, you're going to find out it's a little bit more your fault than you thought. Go at that humbly and say, God, you told me to take care of this. Whatever, fault my play, I, whatever part I played in this, I want it to be done. I want it to be over. Take that 10% and say, God, I want to take care of this. Show me how to do it. And then do it. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in saying, I'm just going to do it. You are commanded just like me in Romans 12, 16 through 18. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it is possible as far as it depends on you. As far as it depends on you, get it right. If you play 10% or you play 50% or you played 99% of it, as far as it depends on you, get it right. You may have real theological differences that you can't get past. And I'm not telling you to be a doormat. But as far as it depends on you, live in peace with others. You may do everything you can do, 
can do to deal with the situation, and they may attempt to hurt you even more. You can almost expect that, because now you're vulnerable. You're coming in vulnerable. But there's freedom in the fact that God said, go do it. He's bigger than the situation, and when you go do it, he'll take care of you. He's going to take care of it. So, if some of you take the opportunity this week to take care of some situations, think about the testimony you'll have next week. The testimony you'll have next week, you can use to build God's ministry. So, if I'm honest, I, I prepared all week for this, and I had to deal with like six situations in my life that I had outstanding. Because I can't bring this to you guys and preach on it and not have done exactly what I said, right? But you know what that gave me? It's an out. It's a freeing thing. I'm coming here to tell you guys something. If I don't take care of it, God's not going to bless that. So I better do it. And that made it easy. It kind of made it easy. It's like, you know what? I, first of all, I'm learning that it'll take the anxiety out of my life. But second of all, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this over and over to myself? So I took, care of these, I took care of them the best that I could so far, and they're not all done. But you know what helped me? I have three men that, I'm, that I keep accountable to in my life, and I told them I was going to do it. I didn't, I didn't rehash all the, they did this to me, and blah, blah, blah. I just said, I've got three situations in my life, and I'm having a hard time just taking it on, and so I'm telling you that I'm going to do it. You know what that does for you, Right? When you tell someone you're going to do it, you, you got to go do it, right? It's like a motivator. You don't want to go back to those three guys and say, I, I chickened out. I couldn't do it. I don't want to go back to them and say that. So give yourself these ways. Put these things into your life so that you can, you can get past it. You may need help. And those people all prayed for me too. You know, They prayed hard for me that I would, that I would do this humbly and I wouldn't just be clear in my conscience. And God blessed me all week for that. This, it was a great week for me, even though I had to deal with all these situations that have been hanging over my head. All right, so as we finish up, and I know we're going over, I'm sorry. I'm just going to give you five things that you can do from this text. And we, it's sort of a, you know, we're just reviewing what we've already said. And this is where you have some blanks there. Um, decide to stop procrastinating. I think you have resolve on yours. Resolve to stop procrastinating. This is the very first point Paul's making to them. Get on with it. I'm telling you to do it now. Now's the time to do it. So if you tell yourself, you tell yourself right now, you know what, God, this is the week I'm going to do it. Stop procrastinating. Number two, reevaluate your expectations. And in this case, reevaluate your expectations of the relationship. We need to do this all the time anyway. Reevaluate where you are. We have this crazy way of thinking that if everything doesn't go back to exactly the way it was, that it's not resolved. Things are not always going to go back. You can't go back always. And to think that just because you're Christians, you're going to be able to go back, you're not. Sometimes maybe, but often not. Don't have these expectations that if they don't meet it, you're still not over it because it didn't go back. We couldn't lead the group together. We couldn't, you know work together. We couldn't deal with it. Be, be able to find peace no matter what this situation comes out as. I give the example of Paul and Barnabas, and, 
And I, I encourage everybody to go find out what happened with Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. You can write that down as your homework. It's short. Paul and Barnabas and, and John Mark. But keep in mind, Barnabas brought Paul, who just was Saul, to the disciples. That's how those two guys started. Those two guys were close. Those two guys helped each other a lot. They went on ministry together. And just find out what happens with those two. So if it can ha- in other words, if it can happen to those two, it will happen to you as well. Number three, we talked about get competent outside counsel. When you need it, don't be afraid. And don't just take somebody in who's, in your, you know, who's on your side. Take someone in that you both trust and say, we need help. Can you help? Here's what happened. Can you help us? Number five, and this is going to be, this is always the toughest one. Remember, a right relationship is more important than being right. Some of you have, when somebody says that to you, has almost a physical reaction to that. What does he know? Well, Jeremy doesn't know what he's talking about. They hurt me way worse than he knows. He, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. And you're right, I don't. I don't get it. I don't know how badly they hurt you. You don't know how badly people have hurt me either. But wouldn't it be nice the next time we talk about this, the next time we have to talk about forgiveness, the next time we talk about peace, that you don't have that reaction that you just had or could have? Wouldn't it be nice to be done with that? That's the message. It'd be nice to be done with that. I know that it's hard, and I know that it's more complicated, and I don't want anybody to run into any abusive thing because I said this. That's not where we're at. But as far as it depends on you, and you know in your heart, be honest with yourselves about it. As far as it depends on you, be at peace. Be at peace with them. So I want to leave you with this. In one year or five years, or 50 years, no one is going to remember or care that you were right in a conflict. It might even be one week. One week, no one cares that you were right. But in one year, or five years, or 50 years, if the people in this church love each other like we just discussed, there will be souls in heaven because of it. And there will be peace in this place that you've never seen before. And people will want to come here Because there's peace. We're at peace with one another, even though we don't get along sometimes. We get past it. And I just want to leave you with that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group. I pray that whatever you've laid on them, that you will will minister to them this week on how to handle it. And God, I know there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of hard feelings maybe in this church and maybe outside of this church, but God, I pray that these people will be able to find peace so that they can minister for you like, like you commanded us to. I thank you for the great things that have happened here, and I thank you for the relationships that have mended. I pray that you'll continue that. In your name, amen.